Would you care to step outside? Warning, PC and RMD contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Awesome. Oh, sorry. That's your signal. That means we have to go now. All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone, to DC on RMD, the Star Girl edition, where we talk about DC Universe's Star Girl, at least for one more year or four more episodes, and then it'll be the CW's Star Girl. And then whether or not we discuss it, it's anyone's guess, right, Bob? Yeah. Um, they're never gonna be okay. Uh, and it's now. There's no. There's no way. There's it's no way. Sad that I think that. Um, I mean, just even based on score and music and all that other stuff, <laughs> like it's the simple yeah. things that I'm already like, oh man, this is not gonna happen. It's like, you know, we're gonna get back to. Bullshit scores and, you know, whoever has their keyboard going, you know, the kid from Bob's Burgers playing fart sounds in between fights. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm hoping it all works out. I'm going to remain optimistic because the show is so strong and I'm going to remain optimistic until they announce who the showrunner is. And if it ends up not being Jeff Johns, then I might worry a bit because there's a tone to this show I really appreciate it and how they've managed to go from what was a bit of a bubblegum vibe to a darker DC tone, but still managed to cling to that levity. And over the course of just nine episodes, the producers, they've managed to package this show in such a way that everything is progressing naturally. So, for example, the tone adjusts the progression or I should say the tone adjusts with the progression of the narrative. As things heat up, things get real, the tone matches. And I know some people may say, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. That should happen, but it doesn't happen. If you have a lighthearted show, typically it stays lighthearted. This show started with a lighter tone. And as the story gets deeper and darker and we learn about the, the deviance that lurks in the dark, in the shadows and everyone's stories begin to be, you know, fleshed out the tone then just, just, you know, organically adjusts to fit. Yeah. And I, I, not Shazam didn't do it at this level, Mm -mm. but that was the same type of thing to where it started off as a bunch of kids doing something. And then when it got real, it got real, even though they kept some of the sarcasm there, but it definitely, this show does have that to where these kids are growing up really quick. Yeah. And I can appreciate that. Cause that's something that I was nervous, you know, nervous about going in that, especially after the first episode. And I know we, we both liked the first episode and we were both giving it high marks, but at the same time we were saying, well, I don't know if we're really the, the target demo for this. And then two, three episodes in, we realized that, yeah, I, there is no target demo. Like this is just good television and everything just works. Well, they didn't do a, what it, what we thought was going to be like a saved by the bell, teenage Degrassi high type show. Yeah. They just happened to, you know, do a superhero show of people that are in high school. You know, this is pr- yeah. probably what, you know, a, a Gotham should have been. Yeah, you know more of Bruce Wayne doing this type of stuff while the city's going bad, and how you progress to what he becomes, and I and I think that's what you're getting here is you, you're getting you know the 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 team of nerds, let's call them, um, right, coming together and 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 forming, and then you you're learning about this city and everything else that's going on and you know that there's something bigger you know abound and they're not focused on oh my god i have to do a book report type shit right we haven't had those moments yet we're not weighed down by the mundane naivety of a high schooler like this isn't the day in the life of a high schooler who happens to moonlight as a superhero which is what 
we both figured we'd get. Yeah, because we were like, oh, fuck, I'm late for school. Why are you late for school today? Well, you know, I was out busting robbers on a, you know, <laughs> type shit. Robbers. So. Yeah. Yeah, I like that you mentioned what they should have done with Gotham with Bruce Wayne in the center of it all, because that's something that I feel like I can rest easy now. We had kept we kept saying this is Stargirl, this is Stargirl, this is Stargirl. Why are we introducing this person and this person? Let's not turn into, you know, new hero of the week. And even though we are getting that a bit new villain of the week, new hero of the week, they're all they're building towards something. It isn't just a one off. It's building towards something. And also, I noticed it finally this episode that no matter what happens, whatever new element they throw in the mix. It is directly connected to Courtney in some way. It isn't a side story that doesn't necessarily come back or it may come back at the end. They have Courtney right smack in the center of it all. They use the, like, for example, the origin story of Cindy. It was about Cindy, but who was right in the middle of it? Yeah. Courtney. And now they're doing the same thing with uh, with Brainwave Jr. or Henry Jr. We see a little bit more about him. And yes, we're learning. And predominantly, I'd say 80, 90 percent of the episode was more or less about building up his story. But who was at the center? Who was trying to help him make the right decision? Courtney. Yeah. This is how you do a show. If you want to have a show titled after a specific superhero, but involve others, this is how you do it. Yeah. So everything just works on this show. And. Not to digress, but I did want to get to your point about the CW. And I know we do this every week and we're going to because CW has shit in our cereal for many years now. So we're going to shit back. If people don't like it, I'm sorry. But you brought the CW and I know there are people out there defending the CW taking over Stargirl saying, well, you know, the tone and the production, you'll look at um, Riverdale. Riverdale does such a great job with tone and production. But you're dealing with a show that's about a few teenagers in the woods. There, there isn't a lot of production value, yeah. to be honest with you. And, there, and, there isn't a. And having Archie and the gang have a fight is not the same as Stargirl in a green screen and wire harness. <laughs> yeah. And even the tone of Riverdale. Yes, it's a little better than some of the DC content, but there's still that CW that's on it you can tell it's a cw produced show and that's just something i am terrified about when it comes to the second season of the cd of stargirl and i'm maybe just maybe though this might be the cw turning over a new leaf perhaps they're going to gain this show and they're going to say listen there's no reason why we can't continue to do this level of a show we don't need to change anything in the writing room sure it may suffer a bit budget wise but i don't if they don't want to, if they if they are not intent on sticking their hands in the pot and they just let the writers do what they want to do, then I think the show will be fine. Yeah. But there's only one other show that has ever managed to do that. It's because they were around before the CW was around. Yeah, they, and that's Supernatural. It helps when you were a WB show before. Yeah. Supernatural never has felt like a CW show because it, it wasn't. It kind of was its own little satellite show that never really suffered from being on the CW necessarily. Is, so. is it funny that you said Henry Jr. And, and you brought up Riverdale and the whole time I was like, this guy looks like the Archie character from Riverdale. He does kind of look. He looks like a he looks like a bad guy version of Archie. Totally. Yeah. I was just like, yeah. uh, you, he has you, the jacket. Well, okay, so let's go back to the Riverdale comparison here. Now, um, again, I'm a TV snob. We've established that, that I watch everything. This isn't Mm -hmm. a secret. Now, when Luke Perry died, that show kind of fell off. You know, they lost some one of their, like, major lead characters that was a strong actor, whether you believe in him or not. You know, he did hold up a whole, you know, genre of television throughout the 90s. If they keep Amy Smart and uh, Luke Wilson around, would that mm-hmm. be the, like enough stability to hold the show? I think there would be pressure on them. So, for example, not on Luke or Amy Smart. I feel like having them, if they manage to secure them, there would be a bit of pressure on the network to deliver a high 
a high quality product because of their managers and agents. And y- there would yeah. be phone calls being made. Like if they, if there are cutbacks, things being done to the script, uh, things that make their actors look bad or their clients, I should say. Yes. I feel like if they can secure them, I feel like the show might be okay. Mm-hmm. So, and just to kind of double down on what we've said previously, if they can secure the leads, uh, they can secure uh, Jeff Johns as showrunner, which I, I just don't see it happening. But if they can, or at least keep him around as a creative producer, the show could also be okay. But if they don't get those key elements, it, it will not be the same show. It just won't. Yeah. Well, and, and again, I, I just hope they keep with whatever themes they're going with and it doesn't become the next social justice issue that we see with the CW. Um, right, because this is diversity done right. Like you have a diverse cast. You're dealing in issues. You're dealing with things that happen to kids. Uh, like, for example, the issue with Yolanda, just to name one of many. And none of it's heavy handed. And that's another thing. If it goes to the CW, it's going to be these agendas that are already in the CW. Television has been used to move liberal thought forever. This isn't a new thing, but something's happened over the last five or six years where like, fuck it. Transparency. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just make sure everyone sees exactly what we're doing and not be intelligent about it at all. So hopefully they don't lose that either. So that's another thing. But you're just making me very afraid again, Bob, with all these thoughts. I, I mean, it, it's it's the reality of the situation. It's it's it, yeah. again, it's when we've covered 500 plus episodes of CW shows and watched it burn. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's so sad, dude. Oh, it's so sad, but true. It's so fucking true. Yeah. So. All right. So. This episode, we definitely feel the suspense again. It's a good bit of pullover from the previous. It's not as strong as the previous episode, but it still brought a level of suspense. Uh, The dinner scene with Jordan and Courtney was presented to us in a way that we really didn't know what was going to happen. They played on the Cindy and Courtney moment from last episode. I feel like a part of us, we were probably assuming that Jordan was going to reveal at the end that he knew her identity, just like how Cindy did. Mm-hmm. I mean, were you thinking the same thing that he's going to do that? Even if we said, hey, listen, he's not going to do that because it's too fucking obvious. There was still a part of us thinking, shit, this is this is going to happen again. It, it, and it played it played on that. Yeah. Well, I, even if they would have like done some kind of weird pun thing i would have bought it be like yeah. you know I, i'm glad my son's really into you 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 are a star girl yeah you know and just like <laughs> walk away be like what the fuck oh dude that would have been good man <laughs> that would have been really good actually because when he when he says you know why i'm really here right yeah i was like oh shit here we go it just so it I mean, dude, th- it would have been that double swerve of like, oh, my son's really into you. And, you know, I approve star girl. <laughs> like, wait, <Yeah>. what? <laughs> yeah, I I felt like that whole scene was really cool. It was a little different. Something we we had not seen in a, a TV or a DC TV show in a while. The idea that one person knows what's going on when she hands uh, Jordan the hot pot of food and he doesn't flinch and then suddenly she realizes that something's amiss something's off okay i mean that this the level of you know anxiety or tension just went through the roof at first i was like why are they doing this hot scene yeah you know she's pulling it out of the oven what a dumb broad like why didn't she get the hot you know and then i was like oh because they have to make sure they spell it out this is one of those scenes yeah so for the dumb audience you know for the people who don't get it yeah i was just like this is yeah. too obvious why why did she do this like she fucked yeah. up her hand again <laughs> it worked though i i liked it it definitely um caught me off guard i had assumed jordan would have already known but again remembering that cindy is the one who knows her identity and as far as we know she has not told anyone yet yeah <laughs> So back to that scene, by the way, the the camera shot from inside the oven and Luke mm-hmm. Wilson looking in, going, there's no dessert in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, he's good. 
it, it's he's got he, he yeah he's good. Well, man, he'll be sorely missed, dude, if he leaves the show. It's just that that the straight man like comedic timing of the whole thing of him just like there's there's no dessert. Like, yeah, that, I'm all, that's kind of funny. <laughs> and then uh, like the way she looked back at him, like what the fuck, are you, you really? You think I'm here for dessert? Yeah, it was good. That score you had mentioned, Pinar Toprek, just, I mean, just adding that layer that's needed to bring up the tension, especially during, if you go back and watch that dinner scene with the, I mean, it's not too intrusive. And I always appreciate when a composer can, can um, put together a score that's not overly intrusive, but it's there just enough to heighten that tension level. And that's the type of composer we have here on this show. It, it's She's not there to shit all over the scenes and say listen I want you to make sure you hear my score she's there to assist she's there to help develop that scene and that's when you know you have a good composer when it's just subtle oh yeah that's all you need it's like uh I I don't know how you like it but I like salt and pepper and oil and vinegar on my like sandwiches Mm -hmm. and it just gives you a little bit extra yeah. It's not there to be like make overpower with a turkey or whatever you have right. on that sandwich. It's just there to enhance. And, and those are the things that I'm noticing. It's just like um, I always go back and watch the, the, the Tim Burton movies in general, you know, with Danny yeah. Elfman's score. And, you know, whether it's Batman or Beetlejuice or any of those things, Danny Elfman always just added like something to it. And that's what I get a lot out of the show is that it, it it's so subtle, but it's there and it, it adds depth to like every scene and anticipation and, you know, get your heart a little bit like racy and you, you feel the actual themes going on. And again, I think those are things that we just don't see a lot of television shows or even movies doing anymore to where there's like a oh, no. constant, you know, we could release a whole soundtrack of the th- the themes. Yeah, there really isn't an emphasis on that anymore. And that's same thing goes for TV and movies. There's just it's just a different, you know, different audiences. The younger generation just doesn't appreciate it as much. I know my son uh, says I'm a weirdo because I'll point out music and he's all like, what? I mean, even with Ryan, you know, I've talked about music with Ryan on shows and he's all, I don't notice that. Like who, who notices the music? And I'm like, well, I do <laughs> me. So yeah. It's like, if you're paying attention. Yeah. So <laughs> if you're watching the, the, your, the show without your phone in your hand. Exactly. All right. And we also got some reveals thrown our way. Some morsels of world building moments, which we'll get into a little bit later in the show pertaining to the ISA, as well as the seven nights of victory. It is not what we had thought, but fairly close. All right, so this episode was directed by Tamara Davis and written by Colleen McGinnis. The synopsis, tensions rise among the JSA members after Courtney suggests who she wants to recruit next to the team. Meanwhile, Barbara invites Jordan and his family over for dinner, and Henry Jr. makes a surprising discovery about his father. Okay, so let's talk Henry Jr. first. This episode was about developing his his villain cred. Uh, the situation between him and Yolanda, there's got to be more to it than simply he shared nude photos of her. I feel like that much is very clear after this episode, especially with the way or with what they're doing with him. And they're trying to make him a little more sympathetic. If you're trying to make a sympathetic character, you're never going to win over the audience after he shared nudes of a girl. It's just not going to happen. None of us. We're like, yeah, dude, you're an asshole. Like, I don't care about your life, dude. Like, you fucked up. Yeah. And the way he acts with Yolanda when she confronts him, it seems more like what we had said a few episodes ago. He probably is not the one who shared the photos to everyone. It's looking more and more like Cindy was the one responsible. And I know there were a few scenes that had alluded to that when, when we saw Yolanda's backstory and what had happened to her at the school with the nude photos. And you saw Cindy kind of smiling at the phone. And when you take into account the fathers, Ito and Henry King Sr., they wanted Cindy to keep him close. And in order to keep him close, what does she need to do? She needed to remove Yolanda. Yeah. 
So I have a feeling we're going to find out that Henry didn't do that because he seemed like he wanted to tell her, especially after she had said in her head that she loved him. You can tell that it affected him and that he wanted to tell her what really happened yeah, or that he had no part in it. Yeah, there's there's definitely more to it, especially if this is the whole plan of the, uh, you know, Ito and everybody. And Cindy was supposed to be there to watch after everybody and push whatever to go forward to um, uh, make the plan happen. Um, so this was probably all part of the manipulation that goes along with it. Yeah, because also, can we forgive? I mean, I say we, I, I'm not as adamant about it, but I know the Internet is very upset with Courtney, uh, with her even suggesting Henry because of the nude situation. Uh, people are like, why would she even suggest that? And that's why I'm saying I, I, I believe we're going to find out Henry didn't really have a part in that. And it kind of makes sense that he didn't. Henry doesn't really come across that way or and he doesn't really come off like the kind of guy that would do that kind of thing. Yeah, he's a douche, but he's not. a He's a different type of douche. He's a douche because he's a man, obviously, who has faced a bit of abuse from his father. Again, that was also dropped on us. This they didn't say abuse, but you get the idea. His father was very demanding, possibly demeaning. Not physically abusive, but possibly verbally abusive. I mean, look what the maid said, you, you know, when she says that he would be better off with his father dying. It's, it's the worst. That's the worst superpower ever. Oh, dude, fuck that. I would not want that. That is that's the worst thing to ever have, because how many times do you think stuff about someone just because your mind just goes off and wonders? You're not like really thinking that, but you're you can't control your mind. Yeah, like uh... I just like I just be apologizing all the time to people. I'm you would be a ball of insecurity. It, Who wouldn't? Yeah, and all of a sudden you just be looking like, really, this is what you think about me? I didn't say yeah. anything. Well, you know, like the the what women want and all those other movies that they've had over the years. This is like, no, I wouldn't want to be able to. I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to hear anything that anybody says. I, like I'm, I got my own crazy going on in my head. I don't need everybody else's crazy. I don't even want people's phones. Like when people say, hey, can you hold my phone for me? My biggest, my worst fear, Bob, is for me to hold my friend's phone. And then I see a text message from another friend saying, fuck Mike, dude, he's an asshole. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to see that. If you guys want to talk shit because that's what people do from time to time. Mm -hmm. You know, people just do it. It's like you and I, when we jokes about Ryan, right? Yeah. Now, if someone recorded us and then transcribed what we said and sent it to Ryan, Ryan's like, God, these guys are assholes. <laughs> yeah, without Very context different. or anything else. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of like random thoughts in your mind. There, there really isn't a lot of context to what you're saying yeah. or what you're thinking. It's random thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine like, yeah, walking in and just like. Uh, all of a sudden someone's reaction to you is like and you're like wait what you start messing with your hair or something and just, you know he's like oh great now i gotta yeah. like to just keep my mind clear mike's in the room he can read my thoughts yeah i um, apple pie apple pie apple pie so stupid uh what was I going to say now? Oh, yeah. So the, the, the episode or the, the character creation for henry i think is really smart because Okay, so you look at his power. It just by design, as we had said, it creates insecurity, mm -hmm. hearing everyone's thoughts. And it fits who he is because he already is a ball of insecurity because of his neglect. Uh, look at the conversation between him and Courtney in the, in the hospital. You know, all we want is love. And he says, what do you, how do you know what I want? Where are you? I mean, obviously, this is a guy who has been neglected by his father. Yeah. It, so it, I, I like what they're doing with him. It's actually pretty smart. If you look at all the villains and how they're set up, all of them are, are actually there's a thought process be behind every single one of them. It isn't just simply, hey, you're going to read people's minds. Why? I don't know. Let's make it. You know, they actually make these powers make sense in a way to the character. Well, I think at this point, you know, looking at the kids, I think Cindy seems to be the only just evil person. But even her, even though she's she's a bad seed, we can also understand perhaps where how she got there. Yeah, but she just seems to want to do it out of hate. At oh, yeah. She, I, she's a bad seed. 
no doubt. Yeah, the the rest of them, if you know, they end up turning, um, I could definitely see it being like, okay, they were pushed that way or something happened. But you know, we've we've always said the 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 things that make villains great are the fact that they believe that they're right. Dude, and that's exactly what I was getting to, because if, you know, just to backtrack a bit, but just if looking at Henry and what they're trying to do with him, right, it wouldn't make sense, as I was saying, that he would be the one to send nudes or to send out Yolanda's nudie photos, because when you see what they're trying to do with him and the way they're building him up as a villain of sorts, And the fact that you now see that, you know, his ideology is similar to his father's. He views everyone as wicked and terrible because he can read their thoughts and he can see just the type of things people are are thinking about or hear, I should say, the type of things people are thinking about. It's a characterization that is a bit sanctimonious or possibly self-righteous. That's probably a better description. So it really wouldn't work if someone believes people are wicked. By hearing their thoughts and the things they're willing to do. Why would he then send out news? It doesn't really fit. It doesn't really click with his personality. No. And, and again, if the ISA had plans for him. And this person was somebody outside of their control that was making him feel something different. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, that's possibly why it's just like we have to do something. So, Cindy, yeah. go do your job. This you want to see yeah, at the re- table. This is what you need to do. Yeah, it's really interesting what they're doing with these villains. They don't view themselves as bad, like you were saying. They are doing good work in their heads. Some of them, mm-hmm. brainwaves. Look at brainwaves' brief origin story. His first kill was a bad person. His second kill was someone who had perverse thoughts. Maybe even possibly a a man working up to raping someone. When you really pay attention to the story he was telling. It's hard to convince those types of people that they're doing bad. They're true believers. They're self-righteous. They have a bit of a God mentality. And just what's that, that line that you're never, you're never the villain of your, you're never the villain of your own story. Yeah. Go back, go, go back to other movies. Go back to uh, Unbreakable. Yeah. Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And, you know, him just, you know, doing the same thing by touch. Well, how, did, how does he know what is really bad and what is good? He's taking it into his own hands. You know, you only see him right. fucking up the, the child molesters or the kidnappers or whatever. You know, he could possibly be doing the same thing if like. Um, That's right. You know, he, some dude hid his wife the night before and he saw it and she thinks he's an abuser because it's just that one thing. And he goes after him and That's he finds right. out it was like not necessarily a trend. It was an oopsie. It was a mistake. Uh, yeah, it, it's it goes right back to that vigilante line. There's a thin line mm-hmm. between vigilante and villain. Yeah. It just it yeah. matters who you go after. Oh. Yeah, so it all comes down to a decision. Whether or not he will make the right decision remains to be seen. And I'm talking about Henry Jr., of course, uh, because he does seem to be a bit like his father with that idea of uh, that view of, of, of people and, and how they're not good at their core. So the question is, will he follow his dad's path or will he choose his own? And honestly, I know he's got to be a villain, but it would be nice if he's pushed that way later. Yeah, I would like to see this character rise above just a bit because his father is such a a kind of a shitty person and has treated him so poorly. I would like to see him make a decision that's not going to be the obvious, which would be to kill his father because he realizes he's the bad person, which I feel like he's going to read his father's mind and he's going to see all the horrible things that he's done and realize his father is a hypocrite and he might end up killing him by accident. You know, who knows? I guess we'll see. But I'm hoping he makes the better decision. Yeah. At least for the time being. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think it's going to be a quick turn just based on the fact that it is causing conflict within the group. And if you if you eliminate that right away, then it's back to let's all get together and fight yeah. type thing. And you always got to have that inner conflict with the group to kind of go forward. 
and you know push those type of stories of you know oh who's gonna you know challenge the leadership of star girl you know and and are are we gonna go with just what she says if this is what she wants to bring in and so i mean i i can see this going on for a couple of episodes and you know have it play out from there yeah yeah and they score again ultimately with yet another villain origin story or villain story i know there were some people on the interwebs i was reading some reviews from various sites and i I think it's just it's hip to hate on a privileged white male because they were saying this episode is not as good because henry jr is not that interesting he's just a douchey jock and I, you know, sit back, I reflect on what I read and I disagree completely. I don't see what they were watching because I feel like he is just as complex and just as interesting as the setup that we had for Cindy. Yeah, he's just as multidimensional. He's uh, he's complex. So. I, I don't see it. I know there were people complaining and maybe it's the way he's been set up because of the nudie thing and he's a, but a he- white male. <laughs> He's just as you broken know. as everybody else. I know. And I know. And, it, and if they, people don't see that, it's not like he's AC Slater, you, you know, coming back <laughs> saved by the bell jock type guy who's got the good looks, the dimples and can dance and do everything cool. It's like, no, this guy has an issue. Obviously, he hates himself. So if you see him that way, guess what? He does not see himself that way. Yeah. He hates himself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the guy's a good actor, too. I mean, look at the way he walks. Have you seen him stand straight up once with his shoulders back like a douche would do, like a jock douche? The guy has his shoulders rolled forward. His head is always hunched like a person with low self-esteem, someone who hates himself. Or scoliosis. <laughs> I don't Watch, know. we find out the actor has like he's in a, a back brace. <laughs> oh, he's like, this is right. the only acting job I didn't get to where they wouldn't make me a handicapped scoliosis kid. So stupid. All right, so Pat Dugan's backstory has come forward a bit more. Just when we thought we, you know, we kind of knew about him a bit when it comes to his superhero days, we find out that he was not just a member of JSA. Uh, the seven soldiers of victory subplot does come forward and they connect the dots and say that he was also a member or a, a, yeah, a member of the seven soldiers of victory before pairing up with the JSA. It's not as cool or mystic as we had speculated. It's a little more on the settled on the present day. We had said that pop perhaps this goes way back because of the, the story, of course, the source material for the seven soldiers of victory, but it's something a little more grounded, a little more recent, but it's still pretty much on the same. It's still on par with that storyline. It's interesting to see what they're doing with him because This is obviously a subplot and it makes you wonder what are they working towards? Is this simply a way to give Pat Dugan more layers, uh, more uh, credibility behind what he says, you know, because he's a sidekick. Should he be in charge of a group of heroes? It's anybody's guess at this point, but it does feel like they're continuing to set him up in a way that's going to make him a much bigger figure than simply, hey, I'm Pat Dugan, the sidekick. Of Stargirl. That and the whole confrontation with Ito when that's happening. Yep. It's, you know, there's something to it. It's just not the dad defending a daughter at this point. It's looking like it might become a little more personal because of that backstory. Yeah. That he, you know, that connection between Dr. Ito. Yeah. I I like that part quite a bit. The fact that Dr. Midnight, uh, the goggles, was not quite sure about Dr. Ito, they had assumed or he had assumed or it had assumed he was dead. And to see that Pat Dugan knew more about Dr. Ito than even the original JSA, you find out a lot of things. You find out about his backstory because of that. And also it sets up an interesting um, distinction between the ISA and Dr. Ito. It seems like they're trying to do this on purpose. They did it a couple times now. They 
did it again. They draw a distinction in this episode between the ISA and Ito. The scene between Ito and the ISA when he sits down at the table and he says something to the effect of, we've had our differences, but we are together on this. It feels like they're laying down the groundwork for something that involves him exclusively, possibly betraying the ISA once he has whatever he's after. And this isn't the only time they've done this. They, they also drew a distinction when we were first introduced to him earlier on in the season. Do, do, so it do, looks, do we want that with like basically four episodes to go? Um, no, but they may set it up. I can see them breaking the plans of the ISA, kind of, you know, stopping uh, Jordan and the immediate plan of uh, Greater America, whatever the name of that project, New America, and possibly setting something up for Ito on his own for the next season. Mm -hmm. Because it might look, it looks kind of like what you had said, Bob, a few episodes ago. It, he might end up being the true baddie. The one that is sheer evil, because as we had said throughout this episode and previous discussions, Jordan, eh, dangerously close to a vigilante, you know, brainwave, dangerously close to being a vigilante. Who's the real evil piece of shit? And it looks to be more and more Dr. Ito. Yeah, especially if if this is what he is and does and, you know, manipulates and. Well, and they've been around yeah. forever. It, yeah, and they really laid it on thick, not in a bad way, with the whole Pat scene where he really knows. I mean, he was bothered. He was quiet. He wasn't even really listening to what Courtney was saying. He was concerned that this dude is here. Like, this known war criminal is in this small town. I mean, it definitely brought the, the level up for Pat. Do you think we get those soldiers now? Since we know some of them are around, and if the seven soldiers, yeah, um, I don't know if we're going to get all of them because a few of them, uh, one of them is, uh, well, <laughs> the way they did it with with Courtney, what did she say? Uh, oh, good, uh, Robin Hood, a cowboy, and a knight, mm -hmm. I, which I know one of them is the Emerald Archer. It's Green Arrow. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to get that. Steve, um, Stephen Amell comes back to the role he's always wanted. Oh. But it's a different version because it's a different world. So it's not really him. <laughs> well, he didn't lie to anybody. Yeah. So stupid. Um, I don't think we're going to get them yet. I think more than anything, they're just probably trying to stay true to the source material. Uh, like they did with the introduction of the old JSA in the form of those big posters mm -hmm. with the flash, with the classic flash and, and Dr. Fate. So more than anything, that's probably what they're doing. Although we do know we're getting Justin, the janitor, a.k.a. the knight, Sir Justin. So if anything, I definitely think we're going to see him join. Uh, I mean, didn't he say to Beth, look out, there be dragons around? <laughs> yes. Did he say something like that in the hallway? Mm -hmm. And you're kind of like, what the fuck? This guy's nuts. And now that you know his story, I mean, he fights dragons. And who's a dragon? Dr. Ito. Makes sense. So, I'm, I, so I, yeah, so I think we can assume that he was probably talking about Dr. Ito. As we know, he can't remember everything. There is a reason why he was drawn here. And I think that's the story. That's going to be one of the mysteries that will be revealed later. Why was Pat drawn here? Why was Justin the Janitor drawn here? They actually made it a point to ask Pat that question. Jordan at the dinner table. What brought you to this small town? And he didn't really know the answer, did he? No. It's, uh, and I'm glad they kind of had that origin type thing. We had talked about, like, how do we get to this scenario? Like, it just mm -hmm. seems too convenient. And is this going to be like the connection for all of it? Where everybody's just drawn here at this point? Well, because I think yeah. there's so much more to the city than we ever have given it credit. I mean, we, well, they, we talked about it before, but they still haven't really addressed the city. Do you think the vast tunnel network underground and the Freemason issue or thing will, uh, the Freemason element will play a part? Or do you think that's simply a way to explain why there's tunnels underneath the city? <laughs> do, do you think anybody's going to get into secret societies like that? I, 
I don't know. I mean, they can easily make turn the Freemasons. Is there a Freemason thing in D.C.? I don't think there is. But we do know there are tons of secret societies uh, within the D.C. canon. So they could do a name drop of something as to why some everyone's drawn to this city. Yeah. I mean, why the Midwest? Because they did reveal ISA's plans. Well, not completely, but we got a clearer picture. Uh, Project New America is a plan to telepathically take control of every fully developed mine in seven states. Surrounding South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, Missouri, and Colorado. So that's like four and a half people. So, oh, you mean developed mind? <laughs> you, you trying to say they're not smart out there, Bob? I don't know. It just seemed like I mean, a if, good joke. I'm sorry, our Midwestern well, listeners. Well, all right, let's move past that. But to what end? That's the question now. So they want to take control of every fully developed mind within that region. But to what end? That's what's not. That's the that's the new question. What's the point? Obviously, do you really want to create a a nice utopian suburban suburbia with people who are just completely controlled? Like, what's the point of that? That seems kind of bizarre and just strange. Yeah. The Stepford wife. Yeah. It's uh, it, and. Is it going to expand beyond seven? Like, why those seven? Right. So we got to figure that out. And also, are they going to stupefy everyone, much like Dr. Ito's people? Is that the plan? So there's still some questions. They definitely made the plan a little more clear, which we needed to know a little bit more. We're closing in on episode 10, uh, or the final quarter, actually, of the season. So we do need to understand a little bit more of ISA's plans. And they definitely gave us that. Yeah. And the jig is up. Uh, Barbara walked in on Pat and Courtney holding the um, the staff. So even funnier. So stupid. <laughs> and it was glowing and ready to bust. So stupid. So what's going to happen here? Like. It, it's it, at least she walked in right when Pat said we need to tell your mother yeah. so that when all hell falls apart he can say listen i i said it you heard when you walked in i wanted to tell you i've been trying but, and this broad said she failed a history test yeah, <laughs> this, yeah. this time yeah. like um, he's touching my boobies <laughs> like wow oh, your star wow. girl, idiot I, <laughs> you, you went that direction like come on courtney <laughs> so many other lies he, he, he touched me mom he touched me like, with the, the golden fuck? staff what the fuck oh oh man yeah, so we'll see what happens there. It is time to bring her in rather than making her like the useful idiot. Let's let's bring her in. Yeah. There's much more we can do with her moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And I, especially I think- now that especially now that Courtney knows or has an idea that Jordan is icicle, then, you know, Barbara now has such a good relationship with Jordan. It's going to create an issue there, a conflict for sure. Yeah, and I think they've slow played this thing long enough. Yeah, for sure. We we have to get there. So, uh, and yeah. this was the next step. Yeah, it was time. Yep. All right, Courtney and Cameron. Anything going on there? Uh, what's the point of this? Why are we developing this? It's the only thing that's not quite clear yet. I'm hoping it doesn't become yet again another Green Goblin moment. You killed my father. I loved you, and now I'm going to be a bad guy. I don't think it's going to be as simple as that, but eventually they're going to have to use that aspect a bit more. That relationship between Courtney and Cameron. Does she trust him? Does she use him to go after his father? Will that create a discord between the two of them? They have answered questions. They've cleared the board and now they're setting up some new elements for this final quarter. So the episode, the show is right where it needs to be moving into the final quarter. Enough answers, enough questions to keep it yeah. going. Um uh, not, I feel not like too many we're in a good place. Ends, like we see sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I think we're in a good place. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I just have a feeling with him, it's going to end up being one of those. He might not be raised like the rest of the villain kids. Maybe, maybe yeah. he's been raised a little bit different and he's more compassionate. Obviously, we've seen it. Um, with his artwork and all the rest of that stuff. Um, they Yeah, you're right. He seems like to be the most well-adjusted, and that could be because Jordan seems to be very family-oriented. And doesn't really and think he's doing wrong. 
Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Well. All right. So let's go to a quick break. And then when we get back, we're going to jump into our final thoughts. Hey, R&B listeners, this week's product of the week is Batman, the animated series two and three-fourths inch metal figs diorama set. Batman, the animated series metal figs diorama set features over 50% die-cast metal mini figures. This battle scene features the Dark Knight and the Boy Wonder against their hated foes, the Joker and Harley Quinn. Check the podcast description of this episode for the details. Keep Rayman Digital on the air by pledging to our Patreon page. In order for us to continue to put out professional live broadcasts and podcast episodes, we need your support, the support of our listeners. So go to patreon.com slash Digital to pledge $1 to $10 and keep us on the air. Fair. Yeah. No effort put into that one. Life is short. Fuck. <laughs> I like that, too. Oh, God. In the most recent study, the site found 30% of its female users are having cyber sex with their affair partners and 14% of its male users are having virtual sex with theirs. If you're choosing... Okay, if I'm in a relationship with said female, let's say, and she's choosing cyber sex over a real dick, I mean, just fucking end my life. Like, listen, honey, you want to divorce me? Tell me. And then take this knife and slit my wrist and my throat and cut my cock off because I, I have no reason to live. If you're cheating on me and you hate me that bad and you're actually trying to have cyber sex. Not even real sex. Not even, thank you. Not even real sex. That's my point. That's my point, Thomas. <laughs> it's fucking embarrassing. Thank you. Thank <laughs> Oh man, that one hit close to home. Right yeah, I think that trigger. That was a trigger. Oh my god, we triggered. The Rain Man Show, exclusively on Rain Man Digital. Head over to RainmanDigitalMedia.com for more details, or search for it wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to DC on RMD, the Stargirl edition. If you are new to our shows, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. Just search DC on RMD, the Stargirl edition. And if you're a DC nut and you just love everything DC, you can also subscribe to our DC feed, where we discuss all types of different DC content. And you can find that by simply searching DC on RMD. RMD. All right. Let's move into final thoughts. Bob, how about you start us up this week? I'm going to go a little bit lower this week. Again, we, we've kind of keep raising that bar. And not that I thought that this episode was bad. Um, it just wasn't as, for me, as satisfying as like the last couple. Uh, so I'm going to give it an 83. Um, uh, again, I think there was a lot of tense scenes. A lot of smart ways of doing things that I, I just found funny and yeah. like entertaining. Um, but again, not, not this wasn't the greatest like television show I've seen. Um, even out of them, um, the the grandparents' prayer, things like that, just fucking funny. Like, like you know, <laughs> having them do it in a different language, and then the subtitles come across, and you figure out what they're saying. Shit like that's that that's good stuff. Um yeah. the the kind of trying to to bring in Brainwave Jr. and that whole arguments between the 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 team. It, it, it's something that is just it, it it's as close as they've gotten to like weird CW moments of them arguing with each other. Um and so that's probably why I downgraded it a little bit. But the, again, I think that the, the dinner scene was a new way of spinning the whole we know who you are type thing. But it was more of mm-hmm. the hero figuring it out, not both of them knowing and getting that homecoming scene that we've been looking for. So. All right. Yeah, I do agree with you. This episode was good, but. It might not be the strongest of the episodes. I know I had a few 
it's hard for me to remember what I rated. I want to say episode four and five. I believe that was the wildcat episode. I, I struggled a bit with that episode. I didn't think it was bad, but it just, it wasn't as strong as the first three. And now we have just completely recovered and it just keeps getting better and better. And this episode's a bit of a step back and I don't think it's just because it's the calm before the storm. And I know after a high intense episode like the previous one, it is um, by all accounts acceptable to bring it down a bit. But that being said, this episode wasn't the strongest of the episodes. Everything that was going on was was great. So I don't have a problem with the setup of Henry Jr. But there is a few things they could have finessed a bit more. So I'm giving this episode an RMD score of 86%. Okay. We're about the same. I was wondering like how close we were going to be on that one. Cause I think we've given it like the last couple episodes, like mid nineties, which is unbelievable for the two harshest like critics on the network. And yeah. And so I was wondering like, again, there, there was nothing wrong with the show. No, not at all. But it, it, it did not keep that pace that those last two episodes had. Yeah. And as I said, they're doing a great job keeping Courtney in the middle of it all. That's something that I have such a huge problem with with a lot of these superhero shows is, you know, it's it's named after this hero. Then let it be named or let the show be about this person. Mm-hmm. And we saw problems with the arrow um, happen after the third or second season. This show sometimes was. They they brought in elements that sometimes never really touched Oliver's story until, you know, the very end or it was just a slight connection. Yeah. And it's a it's a blight right now on superhero shows. Yeah. They, Whereas with this one, they're doing a good job keeping Courtney in the center, even if the, the immediate episode is not necessarily about her. She is right in the mix. You're not seeing two of the superheroes fall for each other that are in the group. You're not seeing. Right. Uh, somebody's alcoholic parent going off on a booze thing and them coming home to them passed out on the ground. Yeah. Those are all those things that you talked about that really didn't have anything to do with Oliver or Barry. It was just subplots for, you know, whatever reason at that, that point. And you're right. We definitely are getting there. We're, we're getting character development while Courtney being at the center. And that's how you write a show. And I mean, that's one of those things you've taught me over these five years of me doing this shit is that it, it, you know, who is the show about focus on that? That's what they need to do. And that's what they're doing. Yeah. It's excellent. Yep. All right. So this does bring us to the end of our discussion for today. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Mike. Who are you bitches? Mother of God. Would you look at the time when you came here? You had an hour. 